0: So many of you are here early. What happened? <laughs> Can I count on seeing you next week? We even had more at prayer early. I, I, don't, I think some of them went, oh my goodness, you mean it's not 9 o'clock? <laughs> Before I begin, I want to uh, announce to you we have a new staff position, a new pastor of children and I wanted you all to know him, and some of you might even have heard of him before. Please, please come. This is Julio Samoyoa. He was our recreation pastor for how many years? Four years, and then he's been gone for 4 years he went he worked at Panama City Beach and decided he had enough tan and he's returned. <laughs> so, right it really is nice when people return. It's like the family coming back home, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So we return to our series And what's it called? Don't look up. Don't look down. Just tell me. Yes. For who? For you. So God's speaking specifically to you. So we're focusing on God's desires for each of our lives. And as a church, we're called... To support what God wants for each of us individually. We're not trying to, to get you to pick up the church's agenda. The church's agenda should support what God wants to do spiritually in each of our lives individually. So we use this labeled tree, and Mark and David Gene are teaching it in different places. And what it is, it's just a, it's just a pattern for spiritual development. It's a um, essentials for spiritual life is what I call it. Uh, God wants for me to pursue a relationship with Jesus. You see, Jesus is the living water there. We we are nourished by plugging into him. So we pursue this relationship by faith, which is dependence. And the, the reason or the result is that we experience transformed life. And transformed life is evidenced by loving God, loving people, living like Jesus. Those aren't conditions of transformed life. Those are evidence of transformed life. See the difference? So if we pursue a relationship with Christ by faith, the result is transformed life, which is shown by us loving God, loving people, and living like Jesus. Our focus today is loving people. And take out your, your message guide. And you'll see John 13 there. It's the theme verse for today, but it's also our memory verses. two verses actually for this week. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world and to Malden and to Simpsonville and to Hickory Tavern and to Possum Kingdom. That is a place, and there are those among us who come from there. That you are my disciples. So loving people, first, indicates spiritual life. We're not born with spiritual life. We're born with physical life. We receive spiritual life. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. If we love our Christian brothers and sisters, it proves that we have passed From death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Now some of you say, well that's a little bit different than what we read. Because unfortunately there's several new living translations that are slightly different. So sometimes what you see on the screen comes from a, a version that I'm using on my computer that's a little different. So that's why. We are naturally, well, let me ask you. Are you naturally other-centered or self-centered? That's the way we're born. Self-centered, not other-centered. So loving someone else, turning our attention outward to others, evidences that a change has occurred. Because it's not the natural state of human physical life. It means we've been born again. We've been saved. Those are synonymous terms. Again, back to 1 John 4. Next page over, verses 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and loves God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God desired to reconcile us with Him. And the reason was because of His love for us. Now, when He decided that, we were not very lovable. You say, well, I am. Yeah, but, but but He sees everything. I mean, he, there's nothing hidden. So even though you're nice on the surface, Calvin, <laughs> there might be lurking some other things that God sees. So in our sin and rebellion, we naturally resist and abandon God. But he sent his son to die So that we could be reconnected to him by faith. Faith means dependence on what he did. I'm trying to get us to see that faith is reliance more than it's something I've I've mustered. It's more I see my bankruptcy and my utter dependence. That's faith. And we have faith that the sacrifice was sufficient. That's what your faith's based on. What Jesus did really does work for me for eternity. That's that's the kernel of faith. That's the core issue of faith. And then he seeks to save us. God's love for us is unconditional. I want you to feel that. I mean, how could it not be if he sees everything? Everything. You see what I'm saying? I mean, we look pretty good to each other. But we know ourselves, don't we? And God sees it all. So his love could not be anything but unconditional. Jesus died, Romans 5, 8 says, while we were still sinners for us. Now, our love for other people is a reflection, and you also might say it this way, an expression of God's love for us. 1 John 4, verse 12. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us, and His love is brought to full expression in us. You see, if you experience the love of God, anybody here ever been truly loved? You know what I'm talking about? You've ever been truly loved. Not everyone has. If you've ever been truly loved, can you stay the same? Hmm. When we're truly loved, it forces out some of this self-centeredness. It enables us to become more concerned about other people, more interested in their lives instead of just only my own. And our love for others expresses first to us, then to others that God lives within. Verse 19, still in chapter four of First John. We love each other because he first loved us. Understand what because means. Doesn't mean, well, he did that, so I'm gonna do this for him. No, no. He enabled your love. By his love. You know, I ask you, have you been well-loved? You met anybody that enabled your love? That somehow strengthened your ability to love? Your ability to sacrifice? Your ability to be other-centered? That's what this because means. It doesn't mean he did this for me. You know, It's not quid pro quo. I can not hardly say those words, can I? Y'all imagine when I was a lawyer trying to say all that stuff. The judge would say, "I don't know what that southern boy's saying, but yes, probably. Yes. Affirmed." We love each other because he first loved us. And if someone says, "I love God and hates a fellow believer of any race, color, conviction, ethnicity, That person's a liar. For we don't, if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? The unwillingness to love others indicates we have not been born again. So here's the mirror. Does your attitude toward other people indicate the presence of spiritual life within you? Loving people includes acceptance. Romans 15, 7. That's 9, 15. You folks may not need me to give you numbers anymore. What do you think? Somebody answer me. Keep giving them. You need all the help you can get. I like this guy. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Some of y'all say, I don't need any help, but you're not even opening the Bible. So guess what? You are disqualified from voting. Romans 15, 7. Therefore, accept each other so that God will be given glory. Do you accept people? I'm not talking about just your family, although some of you don't even accept your family. I'm talking about people who are distinct from you, who are different than you, who hold different opinions than you. Differ racially, ethnically, politically, educationally, financially. Do you accept? Well, what does acceptance even mean? Have y'all noticed we throw a lot of words around. We don't even know what they mean. Is that true? Well, acceptance means receiving and dignifying people. It means regarding. It means sometimes seeing some of you feel like you're like you're living a life that's in a shadow land and you walk around unseen by people mm-hmm. acceptance says i see you I, I i behold you i regard you which implies significance you're important enough to hold my attention. It, it expresses importance, value of every person. See, Christian acceptance is not based on social standing. But on the fact Every person bears the image of God. That every person was formed and fashioned by God. Personally and individually, deliberately, deliberately. With, with unlimited potential. And possessing an, a priceless eternal soul. If you truly recognize uniqueness in each and every person. You will respect each and every one. See, if you, don't, if you disrespect, if you belittle people, that's about you. That's something that you lack. Not something that person lacks. We see worth and dignity even in persons who have damaged their own lives. You know what? None of us have received everything God designed us for. And, and here's some bad news. We aren't going to achieve perfection in this life. But we can step toward redemption as we work with the Spirit, as we hear God, as God, as God takes those lies we believe and turns them into truth by experience. That's why we do transformation prayer. It just helps us hear from God and it exposes some lies that we believe. And you know what? Those lies that you believe about yourself, about this world, about God, you carry them all the time. You may not be stating them, but they diminish the reflection of God in you. Ephesians four two nine forty four. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults. Why? Because it would be embarrassing at work if you didn't treat everyone nice. Because of your love. See, if we love people, we don't focus on their faults and weaknesses, we actually see their value. Same chapter, verse 30, 32. Instead, be kind to each other, tender hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. if you're easily irritated by others and you're unforgiving, if you hold grudges, it means that you don't understand the extent of your own forgiveness. See, if we can grasp the scope of our personal sin, then we'll get a hint get a glimpse of the measure of priceless grace that we've received which will humble us but it'll also remove any shred of unwillingness to forgive others so do you do i when i say you i mean i too accept dignify and freely forgive others do you? you don't have to raise your hand but shake your head let me see some. Loving people involve sacrifice as well first John 3:16. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to also give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Jesus actually sacrificed his human life in an excruciating way. He was beaten, he was slapped, he was whipped... His head lacerated, nailed to a cross through his wrist and through his feet. The word excruciate actually means from cross. That's the origin of the word. But the most excruciating part of crucifixion for Jesus was not physical pain. Did you know that? Hmm. It was experiencing sin. Bless you. And imagine the horror. You know how you, when real violent movies come on, you get your three-year-old out of the room, two years old, because have you seen the effect of a two- or three-year-old when something is real sexual or something real violent... It's like it, it stuns them. No two-year-old is as pure as Jesus. And his sin was, our sin was infused into him. Willingly. Imagine the shock of submitting yourself to some of the stuff on the internet that we know is out there, but we do not want to ever stumble into. So experiencing sin was almost the most excruciating part, but not ultimately the most excruciating. You know what the most excruciating part was? You know what, Glenn? What is it? David, get out those gold stars. <laughs> it's separation from God. Jesus, who was part of the Trinity with, her, with His Father, was cut off. And if you have ever in your life felt desolate, hopeless, depressed, burdened, you haven't yet even gotten a shred Of what being separated from God means. Which that's what hell is. Hell is unending separation from God. No hope. No hope. You know we think of love as a sentimental emotion. But the scriptures use of the word is more often related to action especially to sacrificial action which is giving up some part of our lives ourself for others which includes some part of our resources 1 John 3:17 if someone has enough money to live well And sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion. How can God's love be in that person? If I see someone in need and I do nothing, or I start justifying it, they might buy cigarettes, they might buy beer with what I give them. Have one with them then. You see what's wrong with that when we start justifying our stinginess? We consider what we want as more important than what someone else needs. We took up a collection. I'm very proud of you. Collected $12,000 for hurricane relief. We collected... 223,000 for Indian children our church gives away 18 cents of every dollar goes to India that's not really what you gave because there was a a, ba- a big fundraising banquet you know the week before that the people who attended and probably half the audience was brookwood people so what brookwood people gave was probably closer to 5 I mean to 500,000. And let me tell you this. I could kiss every one of you right square in the mouth. (laughs) But now can I exhort? Am I allowed to exhort? I don't want to diminish that. But if we use this standard that says if any of us, what would it say? If any of us have enough, more than enough, wonder what that plate would have looked like. If we only kept what we needed and gave away, at least in that instance, everything we didn't need. That's where we want to be, isn't it? That's where we want to be. And you know, about 25, 30% of our people gave. What about the other half? We're talking about God gave you an inheritance you couldn't acquire. Will you give something to someone in non-debatable, desperate need? We're not d- debating whether, oh well, they really don't. You know what I'm talking about. Verse 18 but I'm proud of you. I'm in that about kissing all of you except it is the cold season. I'm I'm proud. I'm proud. Now let's keep stepping, okay? Is that all right? That doesn't sound like rebuke, does it? I want to I want to encourage and draw. verse 18 Dear children, let's not merely say we love each other. Let's show it by our actions or show, let's show the truth by our actions. So is love for others evident in your actions? Not just that you feel sad, you feel you have some emotional, you know, twinge. But you do something. See what I'm saying? Me having an emotional twinge for you when I have the ability to help and I don't help, that's not loving. And Jesus illustrated this story by this this principle in the story that we call the Good Samaritan, Luke 10. I'm going to fly through this. Y'all know this passage. 834. And this is called, this man's called what? Luke 10, verse beginning at 27. Good Samaritans. Samaritans weren't good. That's the the context. And so it says at 29, the man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Because Jesus said, love the Lord your God. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what we're focusing on today. Love your neighbor. And this man wanted to justify himself. He didn't want to know how to love it. He wanted to justify himself. Well, Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? What color does my neighbor have to be? How much education does my neighbor have to have to qualify as my neighbor? Does he have to live in a house as big as mine? No, he might live in a bigger house. And he's still your neighbor. We always think down, don't we? What about the one that's above you? And Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Uh, it's about 18 miles away. Depending on, you know, 16 to 18, depending on the boundaries of the cities at times. But it's 3,200 feet lower. Jericho is down in the, in the part of Israel near the Dead Sea, which is below sea level. And it's rocky and it's rough and there are caves. And so robbers would hide there and they could attack travelers. There, there wouldn't be many people on the road and it was easy to, to uh, do that. So this, this Jewish man was traveling down to Jericho. And he was attacked by bandits and they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him up. They left him half dead beside the road. People didn't have many sets of clothes. So taking somebody's clothes was important. So you didn't have any Amazon. and Here, let me order this. Isolated area. No, no nearby assistance. Well, by, tr- by, by chance, a priest came along. Boy, this was good news. Here's a servant of God who offers sacrifices in the temple. He'll know that the Old Testament law in Leviticus requires showing mercy to a stranger. But when the priest saw the man lying there, he went to the other side of the road to get away from him. You know how sometimes when people are asking for contributions, we get in a different lane? Or we look down, look at our phone. Yeah, that's the same thing. A temple assistant, in Greek this is a Levite. He'd also know the Old Testament law. He didn't have the status of a priest, but he helped priests. He knew that, 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 the, that Jews were supposed to, to show mercy to people in need. So this, this Levite at least was curious, and he walked over to him and looked at him. But then he went on about his way too. He had a little compassion even. Poor guy. Then he, I got to get home. Then a despised Samaritan, despised by who? By Jews, came along. Samaritans had intermarried with Assyrians. Samaritans lived in the northern part of the country. And they not only intermarried with people who were not God followers, but they adapted some of their worship. So Jews saw Samaritans as impure people who pursued an idolatrous religion. And this battle went on for over 500 years by this time. And when the Samaritans saw this man, he felt compassion. There's a start. Going over to him, the Samaritans soothed his wounds with olive oil and he bandaged him. What do you think he used to bandage him? His clothes. They didn't carry first aid kits. He took off part of his clothes, tore it into strips, wrapped the man up. Then he put the man on his own donkey. And this, this is an awful place to walk. And he took him to an inn where he took care of him. He took care of him. You notice that? The Samaritan took care of him. He didn't say, hey, I called an ambulance for you. I'll see you later. hope you do well. He took care of him. He took off his clothes. He poured his own oil on the man. We think we've done something. Where we say, oh, hey, come get this guy. He's in the ditch. Come get him. Yeah, I got to go. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, two denarii. And a denarii was a full day's labor. A full day's salary for a laborer. So he gave him two days' pay for a laborer. So it may have been a minimum wage, but full days, two full days. And he told him, now take care of this man. But look at this. I want you to look at this. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay it next time I come. What would we do? Well, I don't know what, he, what he's going to charge this guy. He, he might send champagne to his room. I don't know what he's going to do. I can't, you know, I mean, wouldn't we? I'm not, gonna, I'm not just going to let him spend my money that I have to pay. God spent his son. The Samaritan obligated himself to more expense. and didn't appear to have given a limit. Did he? The Samaritan was the least likely of the three to help, to show mercy, especially expensive mercy that cost him time, it cost him money, he had to walk, he had to give away some of that was in his sack. And here's the kicker. This Jewish man may have resented this unclean, half Bread Samaritan for touching him. Even for saving his life. Back to Romans 10. Now which of these, Jesus is saying, would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? And the man replied, well, the one who showed mercy. And then Jesus said, now you go and do the same. He's saying that to us. Would you be willing to inconvenience yourself? To sacrifice resources? To take time? To someone who might not thank you, perhaps won't appreciate it, and might even resent you and give you an attitude for doing it? Isn't that what it's saying? Because we do it, not because that person is going to repay us, even with humble thanks. We do it because of what has been done for us. But boy, we sure do have a standard. I'm not doing anything for him. He didn't even appreciate what I did for him. Well, let me say, well, do you appreciate what God did for you? That's the real question of the story, isn't it? Sometimes these stories are the opposite of what they look like on the surface. Loving people also incorporates encouragement. I was going to be brief today. I don't know what y'all did to me to make me 1 Thessalonians five eleven. So encourage each other and build each other up, just as you are already doing. So who are you encouraging? Who are you encouraging? Well, I just got to take care of myself. I, I don't see that in here. Anybody see it in there in their version? I don't. I don't see that in here. How are you building others up? You know, do we even know what encouragement is? What do you think encouragement is? Uplifting. Uplifting. Okay, I like that one, but only a little bit. Isn't it saying something nice to everyone you see? Perhaps, 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 perhaps. The word encourage is a Greek word. parakaleo, And it means, I have a lot of words that are synonyms. To comfort, invite, call for, implore, exhort. Also, urge earnestly, push, pressure, insist, entreat, plead. I don't like the last half of those. I thought it was blowing kisses. It's, it's interesting. Y'all know what the Holy Spirit's name is in Greek? Say it. Paraclete. It's the same word. Same, same word root. And it means comforter, counselor, advocate. It, but it also means convictor. Because the Spirit convicts us of sin. You mean this is saying we're supposed to act like the Holy Spirit to other people? Yes. See, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ that's within Christians. Believers are the body of Christ that are on the outside of Christians. So so we are Jesus in the flesh... To guide, counsel, and encourage. Encouragement is related to helping someone advance toward God. To become the person God created him or her to be. Sometimes it's positive, uplifting statements. Other times it's confrontation or rebuke. Especially if someone is stubbornly sinning. Look at Hebrews 3.13. You don't even have to turn there if I can get it up there fast. Help. There. You must warn. You know what? The word warn is the Greek word encourage. Same word. You must warn each other every day while it's still today. So none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. That's encouragement. Sounds different, doesn't it? I'm going to skip down just for time. We're called to be involved in each other's lives. We're called to, to lift up the discouraged but also reprimand the proud. Hebrews ten twenty four. again, just look at it up there. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to love and good deeds or good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together. See, we don't, we're not indifferent about whether we go to church or not. You know what? Because something happens here every time we interact with other Christians. But let's encourage one another, especially now that the day of His return is drawing near. So how are you encouraging other people? And our soul training for this week is how does lo- is love for others evident in my life? Now this I'm going to close with a passage. This is a this is an important election. It's an election Not even about presidential candidates. It's an election about the Supreme Court. And whether Christians will be allowed in this country to practice biblical Christianity. Or whether we will be forced to follow a governmental morality. Regarding marriage, regarding lots of things. And so I'm asking you to pray and i'm asking you to read first chronicles 7 i'm going to read a little bit but you read 11 through 16 read it will you read it put your hand up if you'll read that and pray over it before you vote okay second chronicles 7 11 through 16 And this is Solomon dedicating the temple. And Solomon said what God had told him. And God said this, verse 12, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this temple as the place for making sacrifices. At times I might shut up the heavens so no rain falls, or command grasshoppers to devour your crops, or send plagues. This is God saying He does these things. To sharpen our focus from the land of plenty to the strident prayer. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn away from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. For I've chosen this temple and set it apart to be holy, a place where my name will be honored forever. And I will always watch over it, for it is dear to my heart. There is no temple today. Point to the temple. You are the temple And you are dear to his heart. And he's asking you, do you care enough to cry out? Father, we thank you for your word. And we know that it's true. May we be a people who are pleasing to you. Amen. Counselors will be here at the front. If you want to talk with or pray with someone, they'll anoint you with oil.